whoever's watching, this is going to be our very first podcast episode. We go by the name of Student and Scrubs. We are a subgroup in an organiza- in a bigger or- organization under the name of ISPR, better known as the International Society of Pre-Health Researchers. And so for our podcast, our goal for the most part is to bring on healthcare professionals, healthcare workers, healthcare students, anyone in the healthcare field to talk about not how to achieve certain goals in their field, but for the most part to talk about the taboos and the struggles and just really get to the nitty gritty about what it really is like to be in healthcare. So a lot of podcasts nowadays, they just deliver general information to individuals that are interested in the field. Our goal is to basically say, hey, what are you, what are you really going through? Let's talk about your adversities. Let's talk about what it's like financially to be a student or you know, et cetera, et cetera. We do this to basically show a better appreciation for those that are actually going through the day-by-day struggles of being in healthcare, which a lot of organizations nowadays don't really do. They just scratch the surface with general information. And we like to actually diversify our audience. So we don't just stay in medicine. We go outside of medicine and we like to talk to individuals in occupational therapy, physical therapy. So we really try to just touch every aspect of healthcare. And you're a perfect example for today because of the fact that you are a Caribbean medical school graduate. So congratulations on that. Appreciate you, my brother. Thank you. So brother, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and where you've come from, why you got into medicine and just basically your struggles. I mean, you graduated recently, correct? Sir, November 30th, 2020, finally, after eight long years. <laughs> boy, Yeah, dude, long eight freaking years, man. Like that, that's like you finally hit the light at the end of the tunnel for the most part, because I know you still got to do your steps. So that's a whole other tunnel that you got to go through. But the big tunnel that everyone talks about, you lived it, you got through it. You're like a war veteran at this point. I'm sure you have your certain PTSDs that we definitely want to hear about. And yeah, man. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you started your journey? Yeah, definitely. Um, first and foremost, Kevin, I appreciate you and your amazing organization for giving myself our 305 platform opportunity to be on your show and talk and spread this knowledge to all our you know future healthcare workers in the variety of fields. And one thing I just want to say that you touched upon is the diversity in the healthcare. Yeah, of course. You're talking about you need to dive into whatnot. I think it's so important to give everybody different perspectives and views and it helps them guide them on their journey. So it's a blessing what you guys are doing. Exactly. Yeah, I'll just start from the very beginning. My name is Ahmed Alnahas, born and raised in Miami, Dade County, 305. Miami boy. I got too much love for a man, you know, always 24-7. Um, so yeah, so I was born and raised actually in Mount Sinai in South Beach. I grew up in Canada for about my first 15 years of life. Then we moved to Doral, we called Dorasuela, and then Miramar. So uh, <laughs> my whole life grew up here, you know, obviously the culture, the people, the diversity, which I love down. Are you bilingual by any chance? Well, yeah, so I speak English, I mean, Arabic, and you hablo un poquito español, pero you Oh, bro, that's that's a luxury <laughs> in that field. That's a luxury in our field, dude. Yeah. You know it better than anyone. More the more languages, the better. I mean, if I could recommend to people, like you said this most, we talk about that topic. If you could get a chance, get Rosetta Stone. And why do I say Rosetta Stone? Because they have 15-minute sessions, which are very fast and easy to learn a language every day. You can take Spanish, Arabic, Portuguese, Russian, whatever you want. 15 minutes a day, nothing. And you can start picking up that language and practicing. So I highly recommend the best part of the language. And the best part is you were not paid to say this stuff. You yeah, just yeah. recommended it off the rip. 
Learn second language. I highly recommend it. I back you up on that because as a tech, I also work at a hospital as a tech. And there are some times where patients come in and they only know Spanish. And I see the doctors kind of struggling with their interpretations. It just makes the job unnecessarily more difficult than it should be. So yeah. the thing is, what's so important with healthcare is that personable interaction you have with exactly. Your- and by just by having a few words in their language to connect with them, we build that rapport and empathy. It goes mm-hmm. a long way. Because at the end of the day, when those patients walk out the hospital, and you gotta and you gotta talk to, I think it's a patient representative or patient experience. They're gonna be like, "Hey, so how was your stay? How did they treat you?" And having that connection through their native language just makes it a whole lot easier to get a better rapport on a patient. And the higher the rapport the higher the quality and the higher rating, which means more patience for you. But just to continue where we left off, went down to school here, did my elementary, my in Kendall Lakes Elementary, Hammocks Middle School. I went to Coral Gable Senior High School freshman year. Then I moved up here to Broward County, Everglades High School. Then two years of homeschooling in Kentucky. Random, I know, random. But my dad lived up there, went there for a little bit for two years. And then that's the beginning of my journey into the health field. Because once I turned 18, my dad, who was originally from Syria, Damascus, which is a country in the Middle East. He's like, I'm going to go back to the homeland and I'm going to open my own uh, my own practice there because he's a pediatrician. And you know, talk of course. About he's like, I'm going to go back there, open my practice up to help the population there in a third world country. You want to come and travel. I'm like, okay, mind you, I'm only 18. I've never been outside the U.S. ever. Maybe on a cruise here and there, but nothing like that experience. So I was like, yes, I love history. I love culture. I'm like, let's do it. This is a once-in-a-life opportunity. So that's where my, my, my story begins because I took the opportunity and I left to Damascus. And I lived there for about four, four and a half years between 2006 and 2010. And mind you, going to a whole new world, I didn't know that language, so I had to learn the language. I had no choice, but I had to learn it. I took courses. I studied the culture, the traditions, the religion, the people in the land. Because at that time, in the early 2000s, you know, with the Iraq war. Funny story, growing up as a young guy, you, know, you, you always try to discover yourself, you know, what you like, what you want to do, right? So I went from when a young kid wanted to be an FBI, CIA agent. I thought it was so fascinating. My favorite movie is James Bond. And then when I was there, I was like, oh, maybe I want to become a priest. Maybe I want to have a religious hood, you know? Yeah. And after that... I could say, well, it's not for me. I want to do something where I help people. And where did that begin? At my uncle's charity organization in Syria. What was that? He said, oh, I need some help. Because we had a lot of refugees coming from the Iraq war into Syria. They lost their homes, their siblings and family members. They lost their lifestyle. You name it, they lost everything. It was just so sad to see people suffering so much. So by them coming in, I was able to, you know, help with like the basic necessities, provide like, you know, some food, comfort, you know, if they were kind of injured, put a band-aids, wash them up a little bit and kind yeah, of- Yeah, so tri- you triaged a lot of patients for the most part. There awesome, man. Yeah. I love that word, triage. There you go, that's exactly what it was, triage. Because I had no experience. I never done this, but remember. So just being able to get that experience and start to help people. And the thing what cemented the moment for me is it, it, it sounds corny, but when it's a person, I remember Ole came in one time and she was like just sad. And I remember she didn't have a, a sandals. So I brought her some sandals and she looked up to me and she smiled. And I don't know if you've experienced it yourself, but just by helping someone, it could be anything. And seeing that reaction, that love and happiness, it was like a rush, like a drug high. I, I experienced something somewhat similar, but it was on the other side of the spectrum. It wasn't happiness. It was sadness. But that sadness gave me the empathy to say, I want to 
I see myself doing this in the future and hopefully receiving better outcomes. I had a time where literally not too long ago, about a month ago, a patient came in with a non-root breather on and he was COVID positive. So he was part of the COVID unit. And I was one of the techs that actually helped the nurses. He came in, he didn't know English. It was just Spanish. And now the hospitals up here are not allowed any guests at all. But he came in, you know, and he was getting intubated. As they're pushing in the IVs, as they're pushing in the sedatives, and then the nurses tell me, hey, does anybody know Spanish? And I was like, I know Spanish. And he's asking me, yo, what's, go what's going on? What are they doing? And he was very, he was just lost, frightened, confused. I mean, they pushed, they pushed the, the sedatives into him. So, I mean, at that point, you know, you're going to be, you're, you're going to be alter mental status. You don't know, you, you, you don't know what's going to gonna happen. And I told him, hey, sir, like, you know, we got to intubate you, man. Sorry, you're COVID positive. You know, you're not breathing as well as we expect you to be. And so they intubated him and he was just, he felt, he, he felt and he looked lost. Like, you know, no one was with, was there with him. And it, it hit me more than most of the individuals out there because everyone was working busy, prepping him for the procedure. And a lot of people didn't have that extra connection with him because of the language barrier. But since I could surpass that, I was able to kind of have a conversation with him and feel for what he was going through. And, you know, they intimated him, but once he went under, you can see that his body was still reacting to the NG tube. It was just, it was just a sad thing. It was like, you know, very bummer, you know, kind of like killed the mood because of the fact that, you know, he had no one there with him. He, that he couldn't communicate with anyone other than me. And although it's an ugly thing, it's also beautiful at the same time. And I don't know, I was able to just connect with him and see, I don't know, it's just something that you just feel. And so I completely feel for you and I understand where you're coming from because there's always these little moments that, although they may not mean a lot to people, they mean a lot to you as an individual and that can carry you on to do other beautiful things. So I totally feel for you. Yeah, and like every time I like from that situation, that moment, you know, just by helping people, like even now patients, when you get to help them, they say, thank you so much. It's like a rush. Yeah. So at that moment, I was like, you know what? I need to find something that can get the same sensation feeling and give back and help people. So yeah. then I say, you know, four years overseas, did that whole thing. I came back, right? And I said, okay, I need to go to college first, right? I need to take the SAT. Mind you, five years, I've been taking no standardized exams. So mind you, coming from abroad for no education for a while in, in chemistry and math, stuff like that, I had to go take an SAT. So I took with Kaplan. So I took Kaplan over SAT. I got the minimum score because I'm not, I'm not really a good standardized test taker. I'll be straight up. I'm always honest with people. I suck at taking standardized tests. As tests. the majority of students. So anyway, I took that. I got in. I got to go to FIU, um, go Panthers, and I'm a model. I love my school. Oh yeah, go Panthers. There you go. So I, that was 2010 to 2015. I was at FIU. One thing I recommend to people is when you go to college, or if you're in college right now, take advantage of the full experience. I was. I took everything. I was in seven organizations, the Honors College, the Greek Life. I just, I said, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to party harder. Because why do I say that? You need to have balance in your life. Or yep. you're, not going to out. you're not going to have yep. fun and enjoy, right? And it's, it's insane because I'm in a lot of group chats for my school. And you can just tell that a lot of these students, all they do is study, study, study. And it's, they, don't get me wrong, they excel. They have, everyone has their own balance. Mm -hmm. But you can excel in one thing 
and not excel in another. So basically, you know, you got to share the sugar with time. Like you said, you got to learn to balance the time. There are students out there that all they do is study, but they don't party or they don't enjoy life. I need a balance of both. To generalize it, you do need an outlet for your, you know, for your stresses and your struggles. And but for, for you, for example, it was all the organization and all the extracurricular activities that you indulged yourself in when you were an undergrad. And why do I recommend that to students is because it helps make you more personable. It opens your mind to different people, conversations, different type of groups in society that are out there. Because as a physician or whatever medical health field you go into, you're going to meet everybody from a wide spectrum of backgrounds, personalities, et cetera, cultures. And it's good to start getting into like college because everybody from college is like a melting pot, right, from all over the place. So why do I recommend game not only in professional organizations, but also those kind of social ones too, because you get to grow as an individual and understand and accept people's cultures, traditions, backgrounds, stuff like that. I highly recommend because it'll look your, it'll make your resume shine having those leadership roles in like different organizations or in the health field and at a college and, and also in the social perspective, you can have leadership roles. Like I was a scholarship chair for my, my Greek fraternity. I was tailgate chairs, just a fun thing like that. But it showed on my resume and I was able to connect to people in my interviews who were also in the Greek world too, wherever I just try to find connection to network, you know? So I did FIE from 2010 to 2015. I did a major in biology with a minor in chemistry and a minor in anthropology slash sociology. So why do I say this? So I was like, Oh, I want to boost up my resume to get into medical school. And I'm at the time thinking, Oh, these two minors will make me look shine. I look great and everything. Getting involved in organizations would look me, look, my resume look, fantastic right so when i get to the whole finishing of fiu i graduated and it was like april 2015 yeah i wanted to go to medical school but i'll put a pause right there because i had to take the mcat right before exactly i hate that exam in my professional opinion i think it's ridiculous it's a waste of time because i have not used anything from the mcat let me add a little something to that i wholeheartedly agree to an extent with the exception of the biology and the biochemistry portion because in your first year and in your first semester you're doing your science foundations that's the only thing that actually makes sense and is applicable in in perfect in graduate school what i have heard is that the mcat for the most part yeah it's somewhat nonsense but the reason why they prefer you take it is because let me ask you this how many months did you study for that exam i got the same score twice i got like 20 but back then it was you know different scoring yeah but exactly i took i studied for almost a year and a half so all my and, junior yeah my junior and a little bit of half of the senior yeah i studied for about a year and a half daily though when you did your daily studies right it was just mcat 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 right for the most part and you had a strict schedule and you studied, you know, your chem and physics, your, your CP for a day, and then you moved on to biochemistry for another day and you spent several hours per the day. Yeah. That builds your discipline, yeah. right? It's a stick to a strict schedule and to follow a certain regimen. It made you a more responsible adult, correct? Uh, my, my situation is different, though, to be honest with you, Kevin. Because when no, I'm, I'm just saying like in general. I'm just oh, saying yeah. in general, like, I agree you, yeah. like going through it, right? Yeah. Okay. that's the reason for the test but it's also to get you ready for how rigorous it is going to be to study and take notes in medical school right mm -hmm. because you got to study for the mcat you know let's say eight hours a day for four months five months but the point i'm trying to get to is that in order to do well in the mcat 
you have to have discipline and you have to be responsible in order to get the score that you want. Those study habits that you gain from taking your MCAT carries on over to med school. Well, I like what you're saying. It all makes sense and I agree. But doesn't college as well kind of set you up on that discipline study mode? I mean, I'm not, I mean, for us, you know, we take more classes than usual people. I mean, I was taking seven classes every semester. So, you know, that structure was, you know, I, I had to be from day one structured, organized, or else I wouldn't be able to get by a day, you know, chemistry, bio, physics, all this extra stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, if you want, all right, if you want to make the MCAT a good exam for structured study, okay, I'm, I'm with you on that. I support it. But don't put a score, put pass or fail. Because why do I say that? Because you cannot judge a person by a score. And I've seen that. Ask me why. Why? Because in my whole medical school, four years, I've seen people who could get the highest MCAT scores, the highest board scores. But in reality, they, I'm trying to say this in a nice way, they do not have any bedside, personable, patient, clinical skills at all. They're just a person who got high score. Which is, which is insane because... Everybody, but majority of people I'm saying is... So that's why you shouldn't really judge. You know, everybody... You should judge a person by their credentials, their resume, what their involvements were, their school. Certain schools have certain missions. Certain schools have a certain audience. Certain schools look for students with certain activities in their resumes. So applying blindly won't help you at all. And then also, if you don't have anything in your resume, chances that someone takes you is very nil. You know... If, you are just a number to an extent, but at the same time, you need to show that you're applying not because you want to make all the money in the world. You're, you want to apply because you want to be in healthcare and because you want to actually help those individuals need, but you need to have the rapport and the evidence to support your claim. And you do that by volunteering or working in clinical care Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. I really think that you know, for, even from my experience now, going to residency, you know, in reality, they don't care about all those volunteer shadowing what you did. Man, they don't care nothing. That's that's the hard truth I learned right now, and I'm being very honest with you. All they care about is what your USME score is. They look at yep. that, and that's it. And then, yep. okay, we like that score. Then they'll give you a chance. It's just so shocking, you know, all the hard work you put in, and like, all the shortage of physicians, you know. And they're still like, don't even care about anything you did. Let's dive a little bit into that topic that you said. You clearly have gone through your own burnouts and all that stress. So tell me the story about like you and Ross. How'd you get into Ross? Why Ross? And your journey throughout Ross? Like there are a lot of things that, you know, when I speak to medical students in general, like pod, not podcast, but when I do join their info sessions, it's very broad in general because, you know, it's a general audience. You're getting generalized questions. You're not really getting into the nitty gritty stuff of be prepared to go through this, this and that, because that offers an intimidation factor and it shives a lot of people away. So from a business perspective and a business tactic, they don't offer that because when you're in an info session, you're there to make something look attractive. You're there to sell something to them. And so given that information away of like all your adversities will necessarily get you to where you want to be or get that organization to where they want to be. But that's not the case here. We're, we're here to talk about the real stuff. And at the end of the day, still have an appreciation for what it's like. So why don't you take me down that 
grow it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, so I finished FIA 2015, right? Before graduating, I was, you know, unfortunately my MCAT scores, as much as I tried to apply here in the U.S., they just wouldn't accept my MCAT scores. So I had to go to the reality. So I said, okay, I have plan A with U.S. medical schools. I said, okay, but I'm not going to give up. It's interesting because all those people, there's 110 of us in my class. I think maybe only 10 people went to medical school. Yeah. So imagine, so a lot of people... If they couldn't get to U.S. schools, they just gave up their career and they switched to a different alternative career. So I said, I'm not going to do that. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I want to do. Let's bring it on. So I went from option A U.S. schools to option B, which is Caribbean schools, I found out. Okay, cool. My stepfather went to Ross in 1995, I think, a long time ago. So that's how I kind of heard about the word Ross. And so I did my research online. I said, if I'm going to go to Caribbean school, I'm going to apply to the top three Caribbean schools, you know, make the more bang for my money, the more education, the best opportunity I have to come back to the U.S. And when I was doing my research at that time in 2015, I found that Ross was like the number one in the Caribbean in regards to people applying to their education, affiliation, which is key for Caribbean school, affiliations in the U.S. and how much affiliation they have in all 50 states and the graduation rate, stuff like that. So that caught my eye. So I applied to Ross, St. George, and AUC, right? And even though I had a 20 score MCAT, which is a low score, right? I got an interview like that. And the thing was, I'm not shocked because, you know, in the fall and spring, they take like 500 students. In the summer, they take like 240 students. So it's a good, you know, influx of people coming in. Good, like you said, money business, you know? Imagine 30 I spoke to I spoke to a friend of mine who goes to St. George. Mm-hmm. And we had the same conversation that you and me are having now. Mm-hmm. But we got into it like we spoke about the dark side of the business of their business you know why they take a lot of students why the retention rate isn't shown on the websites like we got to the dark side of it but long story short it's all the same thing no matter where you graduate from the big factor that he told me is that a lot of students that apply they apply but they're not they're not ready you have to be prepared you have to know that you're going to be ready to study you know 10 hours a day 12 hours a day you have to use their resources it's a different ball game in legality sense because when it does come down to it and these schools they'll make sure that you get through but caribbean MD schools it's a different story in terms of like how they go about keeping students from being retained so the path is a little bit harder but you still have to put in as much work as any student in any other school. My first semester was, I guess it was a little tough, but it was homesick. You know, I'm like, I'm like, what am I doing here? You know, I remember my first exam, I got a 56 on it. And um, I was like, man, like, what the hell is going on? Like, what am I doing? Like, I bombed my first exam in medical school. I'm here in this island, I'm in the middle of nowhere, you know. In regards to retention, we are talking about earlier, with Ross, what I did is if you fail, you're able to redeem and repeat the semester again. At that time, I think you had two or three tries to do that. And then if you feel kept on failing, you were like kicked out of school. Education wise, it was good. I mean, you had the opportunity of being in person in lecture, which I hated, uh, fall asleep, to be honest with you. Or you could do it virtually at home. So they'll record the lecture that's being presented. And in a few minutes, they'll upload it. And then you can watch it at 2x speed, which I love, you know. That's what everyone tells me. Everyone tells me, just watch it twice the speed. That's it. Because it's monotone voice. It's still like, oh, God, you want to fall asleep. Just, you know, there's no enthusiasm. Maybe one person might have that, but, you know, it's just going to fall asleep. So, and you get go through your day faster, getting things done, right? So that was the best option I found for me. So, yeah. So you do five semesters on the island, and then you're granted access to come back home and take your comp if you want to. You take your comp on the island, your choice. I said, 
how was your, cause you, well, you've had a lot of tests throughout your first five semesters. How was it like prepping for those exams? How was it like prepping for your comp exam? How was it like prepping for USMLE? You know, what was your day-to-day life as yeah. a student out there? Oh, great question. Obviously the first semester, I had no clue what to expect, what the format was with the styles. All the exams were computer-based. They had its own building by itself called the exam center. It was all computers and it's all monitored by people when we take the exam on the computer, all multiple choice questions. At first, my first two weeks, I was like writing everything. It's all PowerPoints. They, they give you the PowerPoints and the video lectures you can watch recorded, right? So with the PowerPoints, I'll be writing down my notebook, every single thing. I'm like, what am I doing? It's just ton. The reason why I say it is because medical school, people are like, oh, so tough and hard. The only reason it's tough is because they dump a lot of information on you. If you know the information, you're good. It's just they put overwhelming with information. So at first I was trying to write down everything. I'm like, this is just too much time. So I just started writing my PowerPoints. I was looking at practice exams to practice my skills. And I was watching the recorded lectures. And when I took the first exam, I told you, I, I bombed it, you know? And I was like, wow. So like, what can I do to reevaluate? So it's, it's pretty much a learning experience. You have to reevaluate your techniques and how you approach things, right? So that's how I was studying textbooks, the PowerPoint slides, and the recorded lectures. For the most part, in school, you're class exams everywhere that i've heard of or at least from where i've heard of it's all pastel so you know for those it's just get through it yeah. get through it i mean our, it. our exams were all like those percentages and stuff like that because you got to meet a certain percentage at the end of the semester to be as well pass and they'll do some calculations they, okay this is the score that you need to pass and forward. So it would be 62, 65. It all depends on how the class did as a whole. So once you have that score higher, you'll be able to pass the next uh, semester. And just so everybody knows, your third year of core rotation, you got to take a shelf exam after every rotation. And you have to pass those exams, okay? If you don't pass them, you got to, you know, take them at the end of the year. So it's very important once you finish that rotation, you take that exam, you pass it, you move on to your next rotation. And what are they testing you on? Is it procedures? Is it approach to certain scenarios? Is it, what, what are we talking about in terms of exams here? Well, it's pretty much for the, for the shelf exam, the, the, pretty much uh, diagnosing the disease. Um, what type of uh, procedures would you do? For example, an x-ray, CT, MRI, certain uh, descriptions or kind of like certain characteristics of a disease. Pretty much your patient history, you can understand what you're reading, um, ethics. Your step one is like $975, $975 just to apply and be able to take it. Your step yep. $975 to take it. Your step two CS, $1,500 just to take the exam. Yep. So it's, it's an expensive process. I don't, I don't know where they get these figures because me as a medical student, I'll be honest with you, you can't work. You have no time to get a job. You feel me? It's like, I don't know where they think we get all this money. I'm grateful because I stayed with my parents. I live with them here and they took me, like, I mean, I stayed living here because they understood, you know, like, save money, you know, we'll help you and take care of you and just go through school and do what you got to do. I understand not everybody has that situation. I understand and respect that. But I had to stay with my family and keep on living with them to be able to go through medical school because I wouldn't be able to afford rent on my own. I wouldn't be able to pay my car insurance, my gas, water, electricity, Wi-Fi. But the amount of money that you make is still not enough to pay everything back within a short amount of time. But 20, 30 years down the line, that's when you that's when you make your monies back and more. So it's a long-term thing and a lot of people don't, realize that and if they do realize it it's fine but they haven't experienced it yet that's also the case for our podcast is to talk to individuals like you for example who have gone through it and is going through it yeah. 
and we want to shed light on those topics that kind of get brushed under the rug to make sure that people are, are aware of like these topics that aren't mentioned on a day-to-day basis. So, um, so when you apply to residency, you know, you go to the AMC website, very fast, easy to set up everything beautiful. It's like a, it's like a main hub, a portal where you can draw your documents, the hospitals view everything's at one location, right? So I applied everything, everything's good to go. And you have to uh, apply to programs, right? So when you apply to a program, they give us a little kind of table that you apply to this main program. The it's the same. It's the same thing where it's almost like a matchmaking process, right? Where if you'll rank your specialties. Oh, so the beginning, you, know, you want to apply to residency, right? So you have to apply to all these hospitals programs, depending on what your specialty is and what you want to do, right? So you look through all fifty states, all the hospitals are available, and you start applying. And it has a little bracket here. If you apply to let's say one through ten, it costs this amount of money for this program, but you apply to more, they'll do, they'll, they'll go be like, instead of $10, it'll be like $25. If you apply to more, it'll be like 22 per program. So kind of, the more programs that might lower a dollar or two. Anywho, I applied to 326 programs. I would have never thought of that number. I thought you were going to say like 30. Yeah. For Caribbean, <laughs> you, the Caribbean, you have to apply to a lot of places to have a higher chance of matching. That's what my school was advising me. So I took their advice, which I should have. I should have not. But so they said do 200 internal medicine and do 125 family medicine. That's what I was looking at. And I talked to him, okay, it's fine. Because I wanted to go to internal medicine um, or primary care, family medicine or internal medicine. Like I was looking at anything that's primary care. Those two fields were catching my eyes. So 326 programs cost me. I'm asking if you guess how much you think it costs. And I'll tell you what it is. So how much did it cost you to do a program? Like just one program? I think it was like, between twenty and twenty six dollars, and it lowers every time that you apply f- for subsequent programs. A certain amount of group of people, like uh, programs that might lower. I'm not sure. I have to look at the AMC, but yeah, something like that. You like a little special. Oh, uh, all right. I want to say more than two thousand. Eight thousand and like change. Wow, eight thousand dollars just to apply. Say, here's my name. Here's my information. Here you go. I, I thought it was sickening. I thought it was ridiculous. Like eight thousand dollars. I mean, obviously there's a lot of programs, but I mean, even for to say two hundred programs, people are spending on average two to five k, right? And I was I was using the they call residency explorer with the AMC. It tells you you know the percentage of Caribbean students that they take in and where you rank and how you're. Because you give them your information, they can't tell you which one, I, how how good you fit in and likely of getting an interview with them. And I applied to all those programs and everything. And how many programs, how many programs from that filter did you have a good chance at applying from, uh, getting into over 20, you know, at least 20 to 25. So from my solid numbers, but in reality, after 326 programs, I only got four interviews. Wow. $8,000 loss. I don't say, I mean, obviously you say loss, but like if I would have known, like none of these programs would, well, some of them responded back to me and say, oh, thank you for interest, but to me, applicants, whatever. Well, all these programs didn't even respond back to me. So yeah, you, you have to have you have to have a certain step score, and then if you yeah. don't match that certain step score with the national average, it's a filter system. Yeah. It's the same thing with the MCAT. But don't let anyone hinder your road to destiny. You know, because other person can be like, oh, "Okay, I can't make it." Okay, I guess I got to change my career. But I use that the most. Say, you know, what? I want to prove these guys wrong and get through medical. And that's actually what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to go back to the pre-health department. Once I get my degree in the mail, I'm, not, I'm, I'm being real with you. I'm going to go there and say, hey, this is what you guys said I couldn't get. 
and I have it right make here. Make sure, make sure that they're still working because. Well, unfortunately, they're not working anymore. Yeah. Because I was like, they're just you're just gonna come in and yeah. uh, they're gonna be like, who is this guy? Um, but yeah, that was my that's my story. I was like, that really kind of put like a chip on my shoulder. I'm like, I'm gonna prove these guys wrong that I could get to medical school, and, and the score does not define who I am as a person. So yeah, let's go back to the scores and everything. But with the residence thing, just walking through experience, you know, you do that portal system, you you send all your documents in. Your medical school sends all your documents to that portal as well. And in the meantime, all the letter recommendations you've got, you can upload them, but you only attach four letter recommendations per program. March 15th is when you find out if you match or not. Match day. Yep, match day. Then the following Friday, March 19th, you get the receipt of matching. It'll tell you where exactly did you match. And then in end of June, July 1st, you begin uh, starting as a residency, as a resident, stuff like that. And it's unfortunate because like, I, I'm very heavily involved in this community with volunteer service work, from Best Buddies, Salvation Army, to everything. I'm very implemented in this community, giving back and stuff like that. And I try to, and that's one thing I didn't like about my school. Um, unfortunately, you know, I had a bad experience. I was a track representative in your third year. So in third year, you could apply to student government and be like a representative for your track cohort. And I'd always set up all these volunteer programs, these events. One person will show up. No one will really show up to anything. And my school was giving me such an issue because they're all free events, but I had to run through them and I just can't promote to the students. So they're really like breaking my, my back with that a lot. Exactly. And um, they got to the point where they, they said, you know what, we're not going to work with you anymore. You know, it's time to kind of finish things and you kind of leave because they said I was doing too much community service and too much volunteer work that I wasn't having a lot of get together and parties for the students. And I told them like, look, in college, in my fraternity life, I would have the parties and get to that's not an issue. But I'm in medical school now. You know, it's time to put the work and put our names out there as health professionals and try to, you know, be involved in our community. It's not here to party it up. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't have a sense of an alma mater like I did with FIU, to be honest with you. I love FIU. I connected with FIU. I love it. But with my school, I have no connection to it whatsoever, to be honest with you. I have colleagues in AUC and St. George, and I feel like they have more of a connection to their school. Yeah. Uh, I've heard I've heard a couple of good things about St. George's as well. Yeah, so I don't, I don't like talking negative about anybody, but I mean, since you asked me my honest view, I like to be always straightforward, you know. Yeah, of course, if I as, as it should be. I mean, every school has, you know, one person's opinion won't um, totally, I guess, explain a school or a situation. I mean, everyone's situation is different everyone's opinions is different. So it's a culmination of everything. But at the end of the day, you know, it's your story and I appreciate your story. And, I'm, and you know, whoever's watching this in the future will gladly take away that information, that knowledge, those facts, um, those experiences and likely correct certain things to avoid maybe your mistakes or to, you know, to, just to learn, you know, this whole thing is a learning process. I think so. so how can we, how can we find your podcast for those that may be interested in furthering their, I guess, interest in, in you and whoever is interested in just podcasts in general, where can we find you? Yeah, definitely. So I'm on Instagram on Instagram lives. Usually my shows, uh, my Instagram name is dr. Doctor. period. 305 MIA. Again, DR period 305 MIA. You can find my profile is public. 
Every Thursday, we have the Dr. Revive Live Q&A on COVID-19, where we talk about the COVID-19. We share all that juicy information on the first segment. And then the second segment, we have a new guest every week. It could be a celebrity. It could be just an average person like all of us, you know, in the community, doing good work, whatever it may be. All types of occupations and backgrounds. We don't discriminate all types of views and dialogue. You can have one certain view where you could believe in the vaccine. You have one who does not believe in the vaccine. The pandemic's a hope. The pandemic's real. I like to get all perspectives, right? Because having this dialogue like we're having, it kind of, if you have it the correct way and you're open-minded, you solve a lot of uh, issues and bring people together. So, you know, and then every Wednesday, y'all can find me on Flex FM radio station, Sex at Six. We talk about sex health education, uh, sexuality in the community, and just try to educate our brothers and sisters about, you know, sexuality and being safe and proactive in our daily life. Because here in, you know, South Florida, the highest rate of HIV, a lot of STDs and stuff like that. So we try to bring that whole way in a very kind of relaxed, good vibe, chill, open dialogue. We yeah, of course. A lot of good stuff. So, well, man. I appreciate you coming on. Learned a lot. There's a lot to tell. I feel like we just scratched the surface on so many things that we could have covered today. But to those that are watching this at some time in the future, I hope you guys learned a lot. I hope you guys appreciate that the road to your MD is not as easy as it seems. And even though people think it's hard and people know it's hard, it's not as hard as you think. It's probably even harder. Um, because although academically you do have to be proficient, the business aspect and the financials to get there are a whole different aspect that some people may not be in control. Um, some people may not be able to manipulate, you know, for academics purposes, you can study, you can pass, but financials are something that is fair game. No matter if you're smart, no matter if you are academically inferior, it doesn't matter. And you coming in the show today kind of revamps that and brings it back to light. And, you know, it's something that must be done every now and then to remind people, hey, you know, remind yourself why you got on this road and remember that it's not as easy as it seems. And I just want to thank you for doing that today. Miguel's road to medical school is just the same as Ahmed's road to medical school. It's it's just as important. It's just as uh, educative, but it's different. Even though we go through these tough times or these, these experiences, you know, on our journey, we we learn from them so that we don't do the same thing to other people or to help educate people so they don't fall through the same yeah, to prevent those from going down the same mistakes yeah. as so, said person. So I, I think I'll just end on a positive note is that, you know, we're grateful that these institutions exist and that they give us the opportunity to get through them to become what we want to be on the end of the, like, the doctor or nurse, where it may be. So, you know, we have to say thank you to them because they do give us the opportunity. But like, I love what you're bringing here. Like, we get to talk about the truth, the good stuff, and at the same time, the bad stuff. The bad stuff. We got to do the, uh, thank you so much, dude. I appreciate you. Yep. That's it, guys. Thanks for watching. All right, guys. Take care.